Welcome to the nationally syndicated In the Oil Patch radio show with Kim Bellotto, broadcasting from the Port of Corpus Christi studios. Get more on the Port of Corpus Christi at portofcc.com. In the Oil Patch radio show will give you an inside look at the oil, gas, and energy industry and how it affects you from industry experts and government officials right here on the In the Oil Patch radio show. And now it's time for me to welcome on my guest, a regular uh, contributor here on In the Oil Patch radio show, Robert Rapier. Robert, welcome back to In the Oil Patch radio show. Thanks for having me back. Well, before we get going, Robert, uh, on you know covering all things energy, I did want to give uh, our listeners an opportunity to uh, understand and learn a little bit more about you for uh, listeners who are new to the show or new to what you do. You're a director of environmental health and safety for Petroleum Energy LLC, but you're also a chemical engineer. I've worked in the energy industry for over 20 years. You're also a senior contributor with Forbes. Have I forgotten anything else that's kind of important about, you certainly know a lot about energy. Yeah, no, I've, I've worked uh, my career in the energy sector. Um, I graduated with a master's in chemical engineering from Texas A&M University and then spent time in the U.S., overseas, um, you know, working a lot of different, I've worked in chemical industry, petrochemicals, I've worked on biofuels, um, I've written a book, done a lot of due diligence, written a lot of articles, and uh, and right now I am, uh, I'm a chemical engineer, but also the director of environmental health and safety for Proteum Energy, and we make uh, hydrogen. We, we started out with flare gas uh, mm-hmm. that was being just flared, and we take that and convert it into syngas so we can extract the hydrogen or we can convert that into methane to put back in the pipeline. So uh, that's a little bit about me. I've still got a foot in the in the oil industry because we still do work with the oil industry with those with those units. Right. But you know, hydrogen is is definitely uh, a buzzword. Uh, there's a lot of energy hydro- hydrogen energy projects that are occurring and it is kind of important that when we talk about energy, we talk about all things energy, because I'm going to, later on in the show, get into an article you produced uh, or wrote for Forbes that's kind of discussing the the divestment in uh, projects and energy projects and how it it, it affects everything we do, and it also has the same effect when we look at hydrogen and green technology as well. So I'm looking forward to talking about that. But first, I want to, you know, we just got out of midterms. You produced a really great article in Forbes. I really enjoyed reading it because you gave us, as the reader, an opportunity to really think things through that now that uh, we've had uh, some leadership change, it's not just you know, we're, we're running down this, uh, you know, train track 150 miles an hour on uh, green energy and, and throwing out, uh, you know, good solid energy policies. And we're really feeling the effect of it. So I wanted to, you know, come back to the article that you wrote for Forbes and ask you to cover for us a little bit. There are two main areas that Republicans uh, could be looking at to change the impact on energy for 2023. Uh, one of them was uh, the repeal of the uh, Inflation Reduction Act and then attempting to secure stronger American energy independence. Can you please uh, give us some information on why, you know, in the article, what were your main key points? Is this a good idea um, to look at repealing it? Because there were some good things in the uh, Inflation Reduction Act also that focused on like ports and energy. So give us your, your take on, on uh, where we are with that. 
Yeah, so um, <clears throat> some Republicans did campaign on uh, uh, repealing the Inflation Reduction Act. There are some things in there that they don't like, but there are things in there that they did like. But uh, at the end of the day, whether it's a good idea or bad idea, if Republicans only control the House and they only control it by a very narrow margin, they don't have the ability to repeal it. And so we have a stalemate. And that's that's what I say in the article. At the end, it's probably, uh, you know, we, we, we're, we're going nowhere unless uh, Republicans can get an agreement with Biden to, uh, you know, to pass certain things. You know, if there's things they can do to uh, further domestic energy policy, maybe they could work together there to to pass some legislation. But, you know, there's always been this hostility toward American energy from from the Biden administration. Uh, you know, they're asking Saudi Arabia to pump more oil and they're trying to make deals with Venezuela. And meanwhile, they're chastising and, and criticizing American energy producers. So um, there should be an opportunity to work with Republicans there to maybe pass some legislation that can help uh, boost American energy production. But I, I'm just not sure that's going to happen. There's a there's a really bad history there. Well, you know, you you, you do mention it seems as though the Democrat Party has is, is gone in all green. The Republicans are trying to look at more uh, solidifying American energy dominance here. And uh, and then, of course, you've got the president and uh, the ability to veto or, uh, or or not pass legislation. So in another piece that you wrote, you were specifically discussing, um, it almost seems as though while they're on this path to, to, to swing the pendulum into the green area where we go really green, that there's also a very fast pace on that. And we've seen things, we're all very familiar with the word ESG, we have uh, been hearing for a while now that there's a lot of conflict when we talk about financial institutions and investing in uh, green projects. Green projects are, or even oil and gas projects, they take a long time to come to fruition. And that was what your article was about, is how much money um, these companies have lost by doing this process. But also, is it and my question to you also is I want to cover that piece and, and tell me, you know, about the companies losing millions, if not trillions of dollars. But also, that's also having an impact again to this consumer who is uh, looking at uh, we use everything, everything we use in today's world all day is, an, is, a, is a byproduct of oil and gas. How is that going to affect the consumer? And do we see any relief at the pump or at the grocery store or in the commodities that we use every day? So tell us about your article and how are these companies being affected first? Okay, so let's talk about divestment. There's been a huge movement over the past 10 years, especially uh, ramping up in the past, I'd say, three or four years to convince institutions to divest their investments in fossil fuel companies. And that means they will no longer invest in these companies and will rather invest in something else. And, you know, back when the energy industry was struggling a little bit pre-COVID, I know I saw a lot of articles from divestment proponents saying, oh, look how much money you've saved now from, from divesting these fossil fuel companies. Well, since COVID hit and the bottom fell out of the energy markets, the energy sector is by far the top performing sector. 
and, and it's not even close. There's nothing else close to, to the energy sector. So I just went back and I looked at, for example, Harvard University made a really big deal last year right. about divesting fossil fuels. And I went and looked at the performance of the fossil fuel sector from June of last year, which is when they said they divested, and every other sector. And my conclusion is their fossil fuel divestment has cost them at least a billion dollars of underperformance. Because no matter where they went into, if you just went into the S&P 500, if you, if you came out of fossil fuels and you went into the S&P 500, the difference in performance there is, is over a billion dollars. And that was out of a $41 billion endowment, if I remember correctly. So companies that have divested have, have probably lost a lot of money over the past couple of years. And that was just one example. Um, I noted the hypocrisy here of companies that, um, and I don't know if it's exactly hypocrisy, but it certainly doesn't take a lot of moral fortitude to say, hey, we're not going to invest in fossil fuels. Of course, we're going to still keep using them. So, you know, we expect you to continue to supply them. We expect them to be at the at the gas station, but we're not going to invest anymore. So you'll have to figure out some other way to keep bringing them online. And so if you don't invest, but you still have the demand, prices rise. Mm -hmm. And when prices rise, it costs consumers, but it also makes oil companies very profitable. So the divestment movement has also helped increase the profitability. Right. Meanwhile, the people who are supporting divestment are screaming about the high profits of oil and gas companies, which they helped create. And the other thing about divestment, if you're divesting out of ExxonMobil and Chevron, um, you are potentially causing them to not be able to produce as much. And that's okay if demand is falling, but demand isn't falling. Mm -hmm. So what happens in that case? We go to Saudi Arabia and we go to Venezuela and we say, hey, we need more oil because we have punished our domestic producers. And, um, you know, in the long run, who's to say? In the long run, maybe I, I'm, I'm commenting on divestment here as purely a financial issue. As, a, as an investor, I believe in diversification. And this is the opposite of diversification. This is taking out a major sector, the, the sector that has outperformed all others, the only sector with a triple digit return um, since since COVID bottomed out the market uh, back in 2020, um, and and a sector that has outperformed the S and P 500 over the last five years. So you're divesting from that sector. So financially, and I don't know how many people have really looked at this and said, you know, financially was that a smart move? And you know, Harvard may say, well, morally it was a good move. Well, okay, you you can tell yourself that, but you're still using oil. So if morally investing divesting was a good move, how can you justify continuing to use oil? That's, that's exactly what I was thinking, Robert. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Are you a business owner feeling overwhelmed where to begin your business's online presence? Maybe you've spent thousands of dollars in the past just to be highly disappointed with the results. We understand because we were once you. Since then, we decided to hire the very best experts to help us and you. Let us send you our business profile that will quickly show you your Google business rankings in these five areas. Reputation, ratings online, website, 
advertising and social media, and search engine optimization. All of these areas really affect how Google ranks your entire listing. So if ranking on page one is your goal, pick up the phone and call us now, 210-240-7188, or simply go to shalemag.com slash business profile. We'll be in contact with you within 24 hours. Once again, pick up the phone and call us now, 210-240-7188, or simply go to shalemag.com. That's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com slash business profile. Start dealing with a company you can trust and always find. Remember this name, Oilfield Experts, to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oilfield equipment needs. Oilfield Experts' specialty is those hard-to-find oilfield parts for your fleet maintenance needs, and we've been providing those parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us for the right part right now. Write down this number, Oilfield Experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210 210- 471-1923 and visit us on the web at theoilfieldexperts.com. And we're back. You're listening to in the Old Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Robert Rapier, who is a senior contributor uh, for Forbes. Uh, Robert, before the break, you uh, were telling us about an article you had uh, written in Forbes about how um, divestment is occurring in a lot of different companies, uh, universities, all different types of companies. And it's actually showing that they are losing millions, if not maybe trillions of dollars in these decisions. But it's okay because they are doing their part in the name of climate change, right? But It also seems as though if you are uh, removing investment in oil and gas production, um, there has to be a trickle-down effect somewhere uh, because all the commodities that we're still using require that oil and gas, it's a byproduct of it. Everything we're using from toothpaste, cars, clothes, you name it. How in the world um, or in what way are we getting ahead by – losing millions, divesting in oil and gas, which takes a long time for these projects to come on. And then yet we have the nerve, this administration, the Biden administration, to go and ask other countries, which I want to get on Venezuela and what's happening there right now in in, in the next segment. But how are we going and asking OPEC to produce more, yet we are actually shutting down here because there's a larger demand for oil? oil and gas and these byproducts. That's not going away anytime soon. Give me the logic of what you think is happening, uh, because it's kind of hard to follow. Uh, This doesn't seem very intelligent to me on any level. I I don't understand the formula. First, I think the people making these divestments will never admit that it has cost them a lot of money. Because I, I, I've, I've encountered some of them. They might get fired. And they'll, <laughs> and they'll say, well, you don't know what we invested in. And I could say, well, every sector underperformed the energy sector. Yeah. So you'd be hard pressed to, to come up with a scenario where you divested, invested in something else, and it was a profitable decision. Mm-hmm. Um, that that it's, it's really hard to spin a scenario. But one after another, you'll hear them uh, not admit that they've, they've lost money doing this. So what is the logic here? The logic is sort of like the logic of shutting down pipelines. And they believe that if we don't invest, if we don't produce, then 
we'll fi have to find something else. And that's really not what happens. Like, like the Keystone Pipeline. If you shut down the Keystone Pipeline and we don't get the oil from Canada, a couple of things can happen in the future. We either don't have a demand for it, in which case it didn't matter if it was built or not, you know, a private company built the pipeline, they took a risk and okay, the pipeline's not needed. Right. But if you get into the future and that pipeline is needed because we still demand the oil, but it's not there, what happens? People just don't use the oil? No. The yeah. price goes up mm -hmm. and we get it from Venezuela, Saudi Arabia, OPEC, countries that don't like us very much. We have to go out and get it from them. So that is the real and practical consequences of these decisions. So a lot of the people making divestments, they they want prices to go higher because they feel like, well, that will help uh, uh, that'll help reduce demand. But at the same time, you have the Biden administration, which is very sympathetic and, and very uh, promoting the idea that we need to use less fossil fuel. They're not making these massive releases of oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Why? To, to bring down oil prices. So they're undercutting it. Um, and you say, why would they do that? Well, they do it because in reality, you know, there's the there's the theory of how this will all work. But the reality is high oil prices cause politicians not to get reelected. So Biden would love to see us use less oil. But why on earth is he doing something that would cause us to use more oil because of politics, because he wants to get reelected? And so he's undercutting the very people who are out there trying to do things to cause us to, to, to use less oil, which ultimately drives the price up. He's trying to counteract that because of politics. So sometimes it seems to make no sense at all. And it doesn't, uh, you know, from a, just a logical, rational point of view, but from a political point of view, that's why they make some of the decisions they make. And I wonder if we do not learn our lessons from the past. Um, prior to uh, the 40-year export ban being in place, we had to rely on uh, countries like Saudi Arabia to produce uh, our most of our oil and gas needs here, which also triggered us to be less uh, security independent and also, I think, uh, allowed a lot of passages and ways to have to be involved and meddle in the Middle East in wars because it was in our best interest to do that. And it seems like a lot of that has gone away since the 40-year-old uh, export uh, oil ban has been lifted. And, and we're seeing now the unleashing of uh, Americans, America's energy independence, and I think we like that. And yet there's an, a great push to continue, especially from this administration in many ways, to go back to the old, let's rely on other countries for our independent oil needs, and yet we have so much here in abundance here, and we're being limited to these capacities through either uh, executive orders of canceling the Keystone Pipeline, like you mentioned earlier, or slow walking lease permits, not having uh, lease uh, sales at all on federal lands. It's just a lot of more regulation to slow this down. And yet, Robert, looking at these other countries that we're asking, they have very, very little environmental oversight when they produce. So right. I'm trying to put a uh, put my head and wrap my head around why in the world are we doing this if it is in the name of climate change. I'm an environmentalist too. I want to uh, make sure that we are not polluting the planet. But 
it doesn't seem to me that this is making any sense when we're looking at other countries that they don't have very many regulatory bodies, should I say that? Right. I mean, I can explain why they do it. They do it because they don't think they're going to have to do it. They do it because they think we're going to put these policies in place and the future is going to come and those policies are going to result in less oil demand. But when the future gets here and that hasn't happened, they have no choice. That is they're, never they're boxed going, in. Yeah, and that is never going to happen. When we get back from break, I want to talk about the actual research that reflects we're only expecting that we're going to need more energy, not less, as the planet grows. So this, we see an, I see an energy crisis on the horizon here in the future. Hold on. We're listening to you on the Oil Pet Trader Show. We'll be right back. Farmers and ranchers are the hardest working people on earth and deserve a side-by-side vehicle that works just as hard. That's why Yamaha makes the Viking an all-new Viking 6, the world's first true three- and six-person UTVs assembled in America. Ranked number one in drivetrain durability, Viking outworks and outclasses the competition in features, comfort, and off-road capability. For more, visit YamahaViking.com. Most dependable claim based on a 2013 Yamaha Source Side-by-Side Owner Study. Hey, when you're in business, you have to make a lot of tough choices. So let's talk about an easy one, your workers' comp coverage. If you're a propane or butane dealer or operator, you need to join the Lone Star Energy Safety Group through Texas Mutual Insurance Company. As a member, you'll automatically get a discount on your premium, plus you can earn double dividends that will go straight into your pocket. It's the easiest decision you'll ever make. Find out more at Texas Mutual com slash Lone Star Energy. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Robert Rapier, who is a senior contributor for Forbes. Um, Robert, before the break, we, 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 you and I really, I love having you on the show because we talk a lot of common sense type of, uh, of, of, of scenarios, not just so much, you know, what are the Republicans going to do? What are the Democrats going to do? What's OPEC going to do? And really help people wrap their head around the, some of the things that are happening don't make a whole lot of sense when we talk about the energy policy. And yet our listeners just understand one thing. When they go to the grocery store, they're paying more. Their utility bills are higher. Um, they are. Uh, you, they hear a lot about climate change, and, and they're not really sure what that means to them. And they're hearing that OPEC needs to produce more, and yet the Biden administration is releasing millions of barrels from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, which many listeners probably are not really really familiar with what that is. So there's a lot of confusion, and this is why we have the show. However, I want to get back on the topic of so if demand for energy is only expected to increase in the future with the population growing in the world, and yet it seems like the world is on a path of removing oil and gas, and we are moving towards green, but yet I don't think they're quite ready to be implemented fully. There, there may be uh, halfway there. Um, tell me your thoughts on we're seeing Europe and an energy crisis unfold because this country pretty much invested 100% in green, greener type of energies and less reliant on uh, good old natural gas. Um, and they don't look like they're doing so well. They actually are having an energy crisis there themselves. What do you think, where did they go wrong? 
And are we following that path as well? And why is it that we are on this path that we are trying to remove away from oil and gas and trying to move 100% green when clearly we're probably not ready if we just look at Europe? Right. So what happens is, and I've talked about this again and again, if you project the future and you think uh, we're going to be able to fill all of this in with uh, renewable energy, and then the future gets here and there is a shortfall and you've underinvested in, in fossil fuels as a result, what's going to happen is skyrocketing prices. That's what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. That's I mean, that's where we're at right now. We've been here again and again. So underinvestment leads to uh, rising, rising fossil fuel prices. Germany went wrong in a couple of places. Um, and one of those was shutting down all their nuclear plants that, um, you know, th thinking that um, they could get everything from from renewables and and now they're having to, you know, backtrack and, and burn coal. And and that's what will happen. You and know, that one's they, even dirtier than natural yeah, gas. Yeah. But they didn't expect to be in this situation. They right. had a projection. It didn't work out. So that's why I say things like the Keystone Pipeline are very important, because that is an insurance policy if the future doesn't work out like you think it's going to. Mm hmm. Well, you know, I, I do um, really appreciate the Republicans standing strong on American policy, uh, American energy policies really need to be strengthened, uh, maybe looking at what did Germany do, like you said, they did a couple of things wrong, but uh, what is our plan B should plan A uh, not pan out, and, and hopefully looking at that, because I think that we are pretty much uh, on that same path and doesn't look like anybody from uh, a, a lot of the people from the administration um, are just still heading down the same path very much like Germany we're going to remove uh, a lot of oil and gas and focus on on uh, all green and greener type of energy sources but I'm not so sure we're ready for it we're going to take a quick break when we come back Robert I want to talk about um, nearly 40 percent of the strategic petroleum reserve uh, has been released this year alone. I want to get on that topic. I also want to cover OPEC uh, further on in the show. And then uh, I want to cover a little bit about the Trump administration's new announcement for uh, running for the 2024 election. But we got to take a quick break. You're listening to In the World Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. Are you a business owner feeling overwhelmed where to begin your business's online presence? Maybe you've spent thousands of dollars in the past just to be highly disappointed with the results. We understand because we were once you. Since then, we decided to hire the very best experts to help us and you. Let us send you our business profile that will quickly show you your Google business rankings in these five areas. Reputation, ratings online, website, advertising and social media, and search engine optimization. All of these areas really affect how Google ranks your entire listing. So if ranking on page one is your goal, pick up the phone and call us now, 210-240-7188, or simply go to shalemag.com slash business profile. We'll be in contact with you within 24 hours. Once again, pick up the phone and call us now, 210-240-7188, or simply go to shalemag.com. That's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com slash business profile. Start dealing with a company you can trust and always find.
And we're back. You're listening to In the Wall Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Robert Rapier, who is a senior contributor with Forbes and a regular contributor here on In the Wall Patch Radio Show. Robert, let's switch gears and talk about um, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Forty percent of it has been released alone uh, this year. Um, and those are uh, earlier this month you wrote about Saudi Arabia uh, leading a meeting at OPEC to announce that they were going to be reducing oil production by 2 million barrels. We've covered this a lot on the show as well. Um, now, does this put um, Saudi Arabia in a vulnerable position? Can you elaborate on what? I know that they're trying to stabilize. Well, let's back up. Maybe you can answer for the listeners. Why is Saudi Arabia or, or OPEC wanting to cut 2 million uh, barrels? Uh, uh, first explain that to the listener, and then also the Strategic Petroleum Reserve and OPEC, OPEC and them trying to stabilize oil okay. prices. <clears throat> this is all tied together. So uh, earlier this year, the Biden administration, after uh, Russia invaded Ukraine and prices started to spike, uh, the Biden administration announced a an unprecedented release from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Now, what is the Strategic Petroleum Reserve? It is our insurance policy, basically. It's a huge amount of oil that we have stored in caverns uh, around the Gulf Coast that if our energy, if, if our oil imports get cut off, we can use those to make it through an emergency. And But politicians have used them for political purposes many times. Usually when prices are going up, usually ahead of an election, uh, and this is an election, this was an election year, um, and, and Biden used it that way this year to try to combat high prices. And so, you know, the, the downside of that is, so if it's an insurance policy and you're using it up because prices are high, you're using up your insurance policy. And that puts you in an increasingly vulnerable position. And so when we've drained half of the strategic petroleum reserve, Saudi Arabia can come along and say, well, guess what? We're gonna cut production and we can cut production uh, and, and impact you much more than the oil you could put on the market from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. And that's what they did. Because the, the release from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve did have an impact on the oil markets. I mean, it did dump more oil onto the market. So it did help impact prices. But Saudi Arabia, you know, they've got the, they've got the final say. They've got the trump card. They can say, hey, we're going to just cut production here to offset what you've done. And that's exactly what they did. Robert, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve also plays another vital role, and that is if in the event we should experience something like Ukraine experienced, an invasion, uh, an unexpected attack, those reserves are very important to be able to fight an enemy. And we are at the lowest level we have been at for since the 80s, since, since the early 80s. Yes, yeah. and and it, and it probably won't be replaced until maybe sometime next year. So, you know, thinking about this, the security risk to the country is also troubling or should be troubling to us as right. well. That, you know, this I always is, liken it to, to uh, homeowner's insurance. So, uh, you know, if you have a half million dollar home and you have a half million dollars worth of insurance on your home, you're well protected. But if you let that fall to $100,000, you might get away with it but if you have an emergency, if your house burns down, now you have a serious problem. And so, you know, 50 years from now, uh, people will look back and either we didn't have an emergency and they got away with it, or we had an emergency and it will look like one of the stupidest moves uh, in the history of politics. 
we we put ourselves in a very vulnerable position here and we're just rolling the dice and hoping that nothing happens where we would have needed the strategic petroleum reserve and there'll be an, an immense amount of second guessing if something happens well let's pray that it doesn't but it does seem like right now the world is very very calm and there doesn't seem to be any problems going on. Uh, Russia is invading Ukraine. Uh, China's got problems as well. Uh, and we seem to have a lot of problems with China over here as well. And what could possibly go wrong in the stri- strategic res- uh, petroleum reserves is is uh, not at capacity. And it's kind of strange, though, to look at the differences between two different administrations. The Trump administration was filling it up like crazy and biting it at super, super cheap levels. And the Biden administration came around and just spun it on its head and released the majority well, of it. Well, Trump, Trump has exaggerated that as well, though, because... He it did it did decline while he was in office. I mean, the strategic petroleum reserve declined when he was in office by about ten percent. He put a proposal out there to refill it whenever prices fell out in in uh, in twenty twenty, and Democrats did block that. Yeah. But the fact was, the the strategic petroleum reserve did decline by about ten percent during Trump's term. But nothing to the magnitude of what it is now. No, and, no. What you're seeing now has never been done before correct. in the history in the history of the strategic petroleum reserve. This is unprecedented. So I do want to now. Now that we've mentioned Trump, let's talk about Trump because you know he. You either love him or you hate him. He's just announced that he is going to run again for president, twenty twenty four election uh, cycle. And um, when we get back from break, I want to talk about his alliance and closeness with Saudi Arabia. Uh, some of the things that he's running on pertaining to energy. And I'd also like to have you comment and talk about the diesel shortage that's going on. We have we get a lot of calls and a lot of emails, social media uh, messaging on, can you please cover the topic diesel shortages? And uh, I want to make sure that we get that covered as well. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. The Texas Alliance of Energy Producers has a rich and commanding history of fighting for the independent oil and gas industry. The Texas Alliance became a statewide organization in 2000 with the merger of two of the oldest oil and gas associations in the nation, the North Texas Oil and Gas Association and the West Central Texas Oil and Gas Association. Today, with more than 2,600 members, the Texas Alliance is the largest statewide association in the country serving independent energy producers and associated industries. Through our efforts in Washington, D.C., and Austin, the Texas Alliance is focused on a better business climate for you. The Texas Alliance has a staff consisting of highly experienced senior staff and supporting consultants serving our membership. Offices are located in Austin and Wichita Falls. Become a member today by visiting texasalliance.org or email us texasalliance at texasalliance.org. Farmers and ranchers are the hardest working people on earth and deserve a side-by-side vehicle that works just as hard. That's why Yamaha makes the Viking an all-new Viking 6, the world's first true three-and-six-person UTVs assembled in America. Ranked number one in drivetrain durability, Viking outworks and outclasses the competition in features, comfort, and off-road capability. For more, visit YamahaViking.com. Most dependable claim based on a 2013 Yamaha Source side-by-side owner study. Hey, when you're in business, you have to make a lot of tough choices. So let's talk about an easy one, your workers' comp coverage. If you're a propane or butane dealer or operator, you need to join the Lone Star Energy Safety Group through Texas Mutual Insurance Company. As a member, you'll automatically get a discount on your premium plus 
you can earn double dividends that will go straight into your pocket. It's the easiest decision you'll ever make. Find out more at TexasMutual.com slash Lone Star Energy. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. Or you can call us, 210-240-7188. Again, that's 210-240-7188. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest is Robert Rapier, who is a senior contributor for Forbes, as well as a regular guest on In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Robert, um, Trump has just recently announced that he is going to run for president again for 2024. Um, I'm sure that everyone who is a Trumper is in love with that idea, and the people who are not Trumper fans are probably, their head exploded when he announced. Um, But he does have close ties with Saudi Arabia. Uh, Actually, if we remember correctly, that was the first foreign trip he took was to Saudi Arabia when he became president. Um, And so my question is, how do you think, should he be elected, what do you think his stance is going to be? How do you think he's going to handle uh, four years of the Biden administration in oil and gas and, of course, uh, the relationship with Saudi Arabia? uh, We've had an alliance with them for over 75 years, and sometimes it gets tested. Um, It might be right now it's been tested with this administration a little bit. Where do you think this goes with Trump and the administration? Should he get elected? So let's let's talk about the process of him getting elected first. The two largest oil producers in the world outside of the U.S. are Russia and Saudi Arabia. Both of those would very much like to see Trump get elected. He's very friendly toward Russia. He's very friendly toward Saudi Arabia. So how might those two countries influence the world's oil supplies leading up to a 2024 election? They would likely try to make Biden look bad. Um, so how can they do that? They can do that by driving oil prices high and, and uh, shunning any request by Biden to pick up uh, oil production, as, as Saudi Arabia has done. You know, he's been over there begging them to increase oil production, and they have just said, no, we're going to, in fact, we're going to cut oil production. So Saudi Arabia is not going to do Biden any favors. They're going to, they will try to do things to help get Trump elected because they believe this is in our best interest. And Biden and his uh, you know, push to get off of oil is not in our best interest. And Russia will feel the same way. They'll feel like, hey, let's get Trump uh, back in there. So uh, they will do what they can to help him get reelected. Um, should Trump get back in there? He'd probably, one of the first things he'd probably do is, is uh, you know, try to s- streamline the Keystone XL pipeline again. But I think the company has said, enough, we've, yeah. we've had enough here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because somebody could come in again four years That's later right. and, and pull the pull the wool out from under him. So um, um, I, I think I, I don't think um, that's going to have an effect on Keystone XL. But, you know, there'll be some things that he would come in and he would uh, try to uh, once again, you know, pass friendly policies towards the U.S. oil and gas industry. But I, I've said this before. Um, what a president can do really has a limited impact in the short term on the oil and gas industry. I mean, we have recovered pretty strongly um, 
it, the, the oil production in the U.S. has bounced back pretty strongly from the from the COVID lows, mm -hmm. and we're almost where we were pre-COVID. Okay. Um, so you know the president couldn't do a lot when oil production plunged by three million barrels a day in in the spring of 2020 because of demand. And the president right now has not a lot of influence one way or another. They can influence a, a few barrels, but they can't make big major influences. Right. Nothing either one of them could do could have a short term impact of, you know, hundreds of thousands or a million barrels a day. Uh, that's really long term policy changes that can result in that. So I think what a president can do is, is really overstated in the short term. I mean, I thought I thought it was funny that people uh, within six months of Biden taking office and, and gasoline prices going up, they thought, well, that's his fault. It wasn't his fault. Uh, he happened to be in office. There's not much he can do about it. I mean, there, there's he's he's uh, riding an inflation wave that started because uh, COVID dropped the bottom out of energy production and then demand recovered. And so yeah. uh, and so prices skyrocketed. Presidents just can't have that much of an impact in the short term. It's coincidental and people think it's uh um, it's causation, but it's correlation. Not, it's it's not uh, it's not causation. Um, so so there may be things he could do in the long run that would help uh, help supplies. But you know, president doesn't come in and flip a switch and suddenly right. you know we, we're producing a lot more oil or. They can, they can set things into motion that in the long run can have an impact. Right. Let's switch gears and talk about diesel diesel shortages. This has made the media, uh, national media outlets all over. I think I've talked on 740 KTRH on this. Um, we, uh, uh, every trucker out there, <laughs> everyone is concerned, are we going to run out of diesel? And so I want you to tell the listeners, uh, no, we're not. But what is the problem that started this and where is the solution going to lie? Okay, so um, <clears throat> the article that I wrote recently, uh, there's, this is a very popular topic because it got a lot of traffic, but uh, you know, why do we have a diesel shortage? There are several things happening right now. Two things happen every year at this time. Uh, demand goes up because farmers are harvesting crops and people are buying fuel oil for the winter. Uh, in fact, let me take a step back from that. So we have a distillate shortage. And what are distillates? Distillates are fuel oil that people will burn for the winter. It's diesel. It's jet fuel. Uh, those are the major distillates. And we have a distillate shortage. So every year at this time, demand goes up. At the same time, refineries are doing fall maintenance. So mm -hmm. supplies get constrained a little bit every time, uh, always at this time of year. But this year, we've got a couple of additional factors. And one of those is we've had a lot of refinery closures in the past two years. Since COVID hit, a lot of unprofitable refineries have shut down. So we've lost, I believe, a million barrels a day of refining capacity, largely on the East Coast. So that hurts our ability to produce diesel. But then the final factor that happened was Russia's invasion of Ukraine. We were importing last year um, about 700,000 barrels a day from Russia. And a lot of that was finished products. And a lot of it was heavy oil that's used to make diesel in refineries. And so when we decided to stop importing that, that created a real problem in the product slate for refiners. And so suddenly we don't have as much diesel at a time that demand is spiking and supply is constrained. And that caused prices to skyrocket. Um, I just had a conversation with somebody yesterday who said, you know, this is why people hate oil companies, because look at this price gouging they're doing over diesel. And I said, why do you think I said, do you think they just suddenly got really greedy? I mean, think about it. 
this is not how any of this works. They don't control prices. Exactly. The market controls prices. That's the market right. controls prices. The market is saying, hey, we don't have enough diesel. Right. And the, the thing is, refineries can respond somewhat. They can shift some production from gasoline into diesel, but it's fairly limited. It's about 5%. And then what they do shift then creates shortages in the gasoline market. So overall, it's a it's a problem. Now, how does it get solved? Yes. We're not going to run out. It gets solved with high prices. That's how it gets solved. Right. Uh, it gets solved because prices go very high and people who can cut back do cut back. And then um, if, if uh, prices here are high, you might see some imports start to come in, as we've seen. Um, what we have seen is we are at the uh, lowest uh, historical levels of distillates right now that we've been in uh, maybe ever. But over the past, um, I'm just looking at the Energy Information Administration uh, site, it's turned up, it's turned back up over the last oh, two weeks. And that's a that's a combination of a little more supply and people cutting back a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But we're still well below the five-year average for where we should be at this time of year. And so this isn't going to be resolved uh, quickly. Anytime soon, but we're not going to run out of diesel. That was the question that came in, is are we going to run out? No, <laughs> we're not going to run out. We're not Calm run down. Out. Just, like, just get ready to pay more. Right. Yeah. Just get, it's not funny, but just get ready to pay more. Yeah. Well, Robert, that is all the time we have for this uh, show. Thank you for coming back on, and we look forward to having you back on in the near future. Sounds good. Glad to be here. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bilotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.